thousand hands to raise to honor you. Lord, thank you so much for your presence here today. Thank you for the word that we're about to receive. Help us to receive it with joy and delight and honor you in all that we do in Jesus' name. Thank you, Joey, Debbie, Jennifer. Well, it's great to have you here today. My name is Brian Henderson. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship Church, and it's a pleasure to be here worshiping with you today. Um, if you're a guest, thanks for coming today. It's, as Joel mentioned, that this would be a great time if you want to pull out your iPhones and uh, fill out your guest information. Uh, ladies, if there's anything up on Instagram or Facebook you need to catch up on, um, go ahead and knock that out here before we get into the text. But anyway, I, I'm really glad to be here today. Um, got a great message, I hope, that was going to really touch all of us. I know it was very challenging for me as I spent time in the passage that we're going to cover today. Before I get there, though, I want to see you jog a little bit of memory here. I think it was back in the 90s. How many of y'all remember the Far Side comics? Remember those? Spent many an hour wasting time watching, looking at those things. They're funny. I don't know if you remember. There was one where it was called uh, Same Planet, Different Worlds. And it had this man and what was going on in his mind, and then a picture on the other side of the caption was a, a lady and what was going on in her mind. And I had one of these same plant, different worlds experiences not long ago. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, my lovely wife, Millie and I, we were enjoying really kind of a rare date night. We got the chance to go into Hibbert Davis Coffee Shop here in Kingsport, and it was just the two of us. We were sitting there, wasn't crowded, enjoying these plush leather seats, enjoying coffee, I'm looking up on the walls. It looks like there's some paintings by local artists. It was just really nice, great conversation, really enjoying the moment. And, and Millie says, she says, you know, Brian, I think I'm going to start painting. And all of a sudden, like in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I mean, my wife's a very creative and talented person, but she's never shown any desire or interest in painting or drawing or anything like that. So I'm thinking, this is amazing. And I think, you know, I actually enjoy that stuff. So I say, you know, honey, that's really great. Maybe this is something we can do together. And she looks and says, yeah, I think I'll start with the kitchen. <laughs> Same planet, different worlds. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, there are a lot of times in life when we are on the same planet with somebody, but we're in an entirely different world. One of the times we see this most often, I think, is when we think about God. A.W. Tozer, a great Christian pastor and theologian, once said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I agree with that. And today we're going to see an encounter between Jesus and a Jewish religious leader where it becomes obvious that they, are, they may be in the same place physically, but spiritually they're on a different world. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, uh, go ahead and please turn to the book of John. John chapter 3. That's right, John chapter 3, and we're going to be looking today together at verses 1 through 21, and while you turn there and kind of get settled in, I want to just give you a little bit of an update, a little bit of history on the book of John, and a little bit of a preview of what's been going on as we lead up into this third chapter of John. First of all, the Gospel of John, it kind of takes a little bit of a different look at the life of Jesus and the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as what's known as the Synoptic Gospels, Synoptic comes from the Greek word, which means to see together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of take a similar look at Jesus' life and the events of his life. Even though they have their own unique vantage points, they're kind of similar. Um, Matthew, for example, he'll, he likes to look at Christ more as the king of the Jews. He kind of targets a Jewish audience primarily. Mark likes to emphasize Christ as suffering servant 
And he has a little bit of the Romans in mind when he writes. Luke, a physician, was a very, uh, also a great historian. He likes to emphasize Jesus as the Son of Man. And he's mindful of what the Greeks think and their thinking of logic and things like that when he lays out his views of Christ. But John, here in this gospel, John really wants to emphasize Jesus as the Son of God. And he wants to, to, to target the entire world. When he writes, he thinks of an entire audience, not just the Jews, not just the Greeks, but the Gentile world, and really, I think, the world of all time, even to today. And John also likes to deal more with the spiritual meanings behind some events. So he pulls out a lot of imagery and symbolism. For example, he uses light to communicate holiness and truth in the kingdom of heaven. And he also uses darkness to convey separation from God and sin. And he also emphasizes the importance of belief, that belief in Christ is one of the big marks of salvation. Now, leading up to John 3 in this gospel, what's happened so far is John's been careful to note that Jesus has done a lot of miracles, and he's, he's performed a lot of signs, and people are starting to follow him. He's trying to emphasize that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God, and he's attracting a large following. So he's, he's creating buzz around the community. And that leads us up here to what happens in John chapter 3, where we see this encounter with a man named Nicodemus. So if you have your Bibles and your apps, go ahead and look at uh, verse 1, beginning in John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if, you, if God was not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, gives birth to flesh but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying this, that you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And so it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done 
in the sight of God. So what do y'all think? Same planet, different worlds? There's a major disconnect going on here between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, a few weeks ago, I got into a conversation with someone while actually getting my car service. And it's a very interesting conversation to start off talking about cars. But somehow it ended up on the topic of theology. And during this conversation, this person confided in me that, that they didn't understand what it meant when Christians said they were born again. And this person was a Christian. They said, I don't understand the born again thing. I don't understand what people mean when they say that. What is a born again Christian? And I bet some of us here today, if we're honest, have the exact same question. We've heard this language. It's churchy. It seems like the right thing to say. But we may be asking ourselves, what does this really mean? It's one of the reasons I wanted to share this message with you today, was that conversation. And this is also a reason why I have a lot of respect for Nicodemus in this passage. Nicodemus is humble enough to keep asking questions. First of all, remember this. Nicodemus was no ordinary person, okay? He was not ordinary at all. He was a teacher of Israel. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. He was highly educated. He was intelligent. He was respected. He was influential. He was probably wealthy as well. He has no doubt worked very hard to earn his place in society and to gain the favor of God. And I believe Nicodemus was genuine in his compliments to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus was one of the very few Pharisees to ever say anything nice about Jesus. And the fact that he came to Jesus shows to me that he had a genuine respect for Jesus. And I think he really did want to learn who this teacher was who was sent from God. It's possible that he was sent there as a representative of the Sanhedrin. Maybe they say, hey, Nicodemus, we're hearing this interesting stuff being taught, this teacher out there. Go check it out. See what's going on. But I think he came to God and to Jesus in this encounter because I think God was drawing him near. I think God was bringing him closer so he could answer some of the questions, the deep questions that were going on inside Nicodemus' heart. Questions like this. Who is this Jesus? And what can he reveal to me about worshiping the one true God? Nicodemus came by night probably to avoid being seen by the religious leaders. He was probably uh, afraid that there might be shame, there could be controversy, there could be criticism if he was seen. So he probably went in by night to do that. He also probably longed for an intimate one-on-one conversation with Jesus. Where was he going to find this? During the daytime hours, people were flocking all around Jesus. They wanted to see miracles. They were being attracted to him. But Nicodemus probably wanted some one-on-one time with Christ. Jesus created this wonderful relationship, this relational environment to spend time with Nicodemus, away from the crowds. I also think that Nicodemus, like many of us, was just very, very cautious when he started exploring seriously who Jesus was. Nicodemus was comfortable in his darkness. And he was wanting to make sure he kind of cautiously stepped in and could assess the risks of what it might be like to get closer to this guy named Jesus. And I relate to this. I don't know about you, but my personal experience was when I was being disturbed in my life about who Jesus was, I was wrestling with God kind of in private. I was looking very closely at this Gospel of John and the Book of Romans. Those two were very impactful on me. And I had a good close Christian friend who was guiding me along in the process as well. And as I wrestled through this, 
part of the reason was I just didn't want to go to a lot of church events or a lot of campus ministry things because I wanted to explore and understand what's going on here. How can I maybe save face if I jump in this thing too fast? Nicodemus might be going through a little bit of this. Fortunately for me, I lost that wrestling match in 1990 in college at the University of Arkansas. And it's been a wonderful um, you know, experience. It's been challenging in many ways. God's challenging grows you, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to go through this difficult wrestling process. So I think Nicodemus is in the middle of this. I also think it's fair to say this. Even though Nicodemus was a moral man and he was a deeply religious man and a chief teacher and ruler over his people, he didn't get spiritual things. He was spiritually dead. So Jesus, who is a representative of God's kingdom, comes and sits down with Nicodemus, who is a representative of us, man's kingdoms. And he begins to share with him this new reality. Look with me again in verse 3. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus asked, How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't go back into their mother's womb and be born another time. Jesus once again says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of, of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying this, that you must be born again. Now, if you're Nicodemus, let's be honest. If you're Nicodemus, how hard would this be to hear? Imagine if you were at the top of your field, at the peak of your career, and someone told you that you just don't get it. I mean, that would be like... Me going to Glenn's show for Mark Treese, some of our PhDs in chemical engineering or chemistry, and work at Eastman and say, guys, you guys don't get chemistry. Or maybe if I went to, uh, to Andy Malcolm, he played college soccer and keeps me updated on what's going on in the European League, say, Andy, you don't get soccer. I don't think it, most people couldn't take that very well. It would offend their ego. They, sh- they would stop the conversation right there. Because Jesus is telling them something they don't want to hear. He's invading their life with truth that they just don't want to hear. And we see that, do we not, out there in the world. When you mention Jesus or Jesus is mentioned anywhere in the culture, people start putting the walls up. Whoa, don't tell me I don't know who I am and what I'm doing. But I respect the fact that Nicodemus, he hangs in there and he keeps asking questions and he keeps listening. And what's neat is when Jesus begins to to unveil some things, beginning in verse 8, he says this. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus comes back with another great, thoughtful question. How can this be? (laughs) Jesus, I mean, you're Israel's teacher, Nicodemus. Come on. Do you not see this? I love Jesus. I mean, he just, he's so good at these things. Oh, goodness. Um. Challenging the heart, but yet loving people at the same time. Here Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus. He's, but he's using a very clever play on a word that simultaneously means wind and it means spirit. The same words used to both communicate the wind back in those days and also the Holy Spirit. So Jesus paints this picture. He may be even alluding to an actual breeze or wind that is blowing around them. And he's saying, Nicodemus, there are things that you you know exist, but you cannot see. And you know they exist because of how they influence the world around you. The wind can't be seen directly, 
And we can't control when it comes or where it's going. But we can see the trees bending. We can see and hear the, the leaves rustling. And here, when we see these things get caught up in the wind's power, we are, Jesus is associating this with the Holy Spirit's power as it moves over and into the lives of people and starts guiding them towards truth and moving them towards belief in Jesus. And this shouldn't have surprised Nicodemus, and it shouldn't surprise us. Because the Bible teaches us this. It teaches that the visible world is born out of the invisible world. It said that in the beginning, the invisible God created all that there is, the visible universe. So new beginnings and new births always flow from the invisible world, from the spiritual world, into the physical world, into the world of flesh and blood and bone and things that we see and know. And speaking of this new birth, for example, I want to take a moment here to clarify a verse that has created some confusion in church circles for many years. And it's verse 5. It's that phrase when Jesus says that we must be born of water and spirit. So let me take a couple minutes here to kind of clarify. There are numerous interpretations of what this phrase, born of water and spirit, means. The Holy Spirit part of the phrase is, the spirit part of the phrase is pretty easy. It means the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about part of the Godhead of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. But the water part has led to some confusion and led to a variety of interpretations. One popular interpretation is that water is an allusion to physical birth. Okay, so I have four kids, and every time that we went to the hospital to have a baby, I knew that one of the very last stages was when the water would break. I knew that once that happened, there's no going back. You know, I'm in this for good, and there's going to be a baby entering the world very, very soon. So I think that it's very possible that Jesus is using this to refer to physical birth. I think that's an acceptable interpretation. Um, another popular interpretation is that this water that Jesus is referring to actually represents the Word of God. And we do see the word water used to figuratively represent the Word of God, um, God's truth, and that's done in Ephesians chapter 5. However, remember, Nicodemus should have known these things. Nicodemus was a teacher and expert of the Old Testament law. The New Testament wasn't written yet. So I don't know that that's necessarily the best explanation. It's possible, but I think that we need to keep digging to try to figure out more to this meaning. Now, another interpretation of this is the word is referring to water baptism. So many churches use this verse and a few others to support their view that we must be baptized in water to be saved. However, we know from other places in Scripture that Salvation occurs at the moment of belief. And on a few occasions, it, it occurs without the ritual of water baptism happening. So I believe the, the, the broad Bible support says this, that we get baptized because we believe in Jesus, not so that we can believe in Jesus. That baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Okay? It's, like a, it's, it's telling the world publicly that we identify privately in our hearts. Something's been changed in here with, with following Christ. Now, I do believe water baptism is a very important step for a believer. I've never encouraged a follower of Christ to not be baptized, okay? It's very important. It's an act of obedience. Jesus was baptized, so please don't hear me saying that baptism is not important. But I'll also never tell a person that they're not born again if they have not been baptized because that's not necessarily true. Only God knows that. However, I, I kind of lean towards an interpretation of this verse. I think that this is where Jesus was going when he said that we must be baptized with water and the Spirit. Okay, um, 
Remember, Jesus will be appealing to the imagery found in the Old Testament when he's talking to Nicodemus because he knew Nicodemus was an, an expert here. In the Old Testament, water was often used as a metaphor for spiritual cleansing by the Holy Spirit. For example, Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Here, the Holy Spirit is, is communicated as the water that fills and cleanses and renews and redeems. Because people rejected God, they weren't able to follow. Uh, Ezekiel 36, 25-29 probably more clearly shows this. When God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. And it goes on to talk about how we would be his people and he would keep us clean. I believe Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus see that he must be inwardly cleansed by the Holy Spirit and be born again by the Holy Spirit. And a person must experience this, this spiritual cleansing and new birth in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's back up a second. Remember, right ancestry does not make you born again. Who your parents are, what church you grew up in, how often you go to church, does not make you born again. Religious knowledge does not make you born again. Religious experiences, religious activity does not make you born again. Being spiritual does not make you born again. That's a real popular one these days. Oh, I don't necessarily believe there's one God or whatever, but I'm a very spiritual person. According to Christ, that is not a born again person. Being born again, this is your first point today. Being born again means you're born of the Spirit. Being born of the Spirit makes you born again. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and he's telling all of us, all followers of all times, that this new birth is a work of God. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make ourselves worthy of this new citizenship in heaven. The Holy Spirit makes us desire the things of God. The Holy Spirit draws us closer to God. The Holy Spirit cleanses us and points us towards, this is important, points us towards the atoning sacrifice, the body broken and the blood shed for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. Without the Holy Spirit, we are clueless to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And this is very clearly stated by Jesus beginning in verse 10. When he says, Nicodemus, you're Israel's teacher, and you don't get these things. Very truly I tell you. Once again, there's a word. Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen. But still you people don't accept our testimony. And I'm speaking to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How can I speak to you of heavenly things? For no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted up, or he lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And there's that famous verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, have you ever been in a situation or in a conversation where you've had to play the boss card on somebody? You know, maybe you've had to appeal to your 
expertise or your knowledge or your role as a parent or a teacher, an authority or a leader. You just kind of had to say, look, this is how it is. I think in verse 11 what Jesus is doing here is he's taking this conversation to a holy place, a holy level. And he's dropping the God card on Nicodemus. Now, if you remember, at the very beginning of this conversation, this encounter, Nicodemus, what did he say? He said, teacher, we know. We know that you are a teacher sent by God because of all the things you're doing. The we he was referring to is we, the rulers of the people, the teachers of the law, the experts, the authorities. We get this. And I think Jesus comes back to that little comment and he says, Nicodemus, we speak of things that we know and we testify to things that we've seen. And he said that after he said, very truly, I tell you, for the third time. A lot of biblical experts will say that this, at this point Jesus is referring to the plural. He's using we to refer to the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he also continues this God, this God card, if you will, in verse 13 when he says that he is an authority because he is God. He's been to heaven. I've seen it. I know it. I've been there. I've done that. I'm the only person who can come in and tell you what it's like and how to get there. Very clearly, Jesus is starting to, to, to reveal who he is to Nicodemus. And I don't think these words are lost on Nicodemus, and they shouldn't be lost on us either. Because then Jesus takes another step, and he refers Nicodemus, this Old Testament expert, to uh, a story of salvation in Numbers chapter 21. And if you don't remember what happened back in Numbers chapter 21, let me just give you a really quick replay. The Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness, and they were really complaining about everything. They were very mad at God. They sinned against God. They even wanted to go back to Egypt. They were not happy with God. Because of their lack of faith and because of their sin, God judged them. And he did it in the form of sending poisonous snakes to torment them. This worked. <laughs> the people were like, wait a second. We don't like this. Something happened. They repented. They went to Moses and said, Moses, tell God to do something. Please take these snakes away. And what God says is, he says, this is Moses. Make a bronze serpent, place it on a pole, lift it up before the people. And when people look at this, they will be healed and they will live. So just like the people of the Old Testament, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, in their misery, in their sin, in their rebellion, had to look up at the bronze serpent. So by faith, they had to believe that what God said would be true. They looked up there, God healed them because of their, their, their trust and their belief in him. Jesus refers to this and says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then, of course, one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When a person is born again, they begin to see Jesus in a whole new light. They look at his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And they look to that for healing. They look to that for the source of their life, not only here on this earth, but forever and eternity with him. In heaven. They recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for them. John 3.16 helps us see this very simple way of saying this. It says, those who believe in Christ are born again. And those who are born again, they believe in Christ. They continue on in that belief. 
Now, I shared this passage with my kids this week uh, because I, one of the, the tests you can always have about trying to make some challenging passages more clear is ask your kids, does this make sense? I say, kids, how, how would you all explain born again after hearing this? And Brenna, my 14-year-old, she described it like this, and I really liked this. She said, Dad, being born again is like waking up. I was like, you know, that works. That'll preach. And I like this description because all of us can relate to waking up. We have no control over our thinking and our actions when we're asleep. My wife can attest to that. I've shared with her some of my dreams, and she's like, what in the world is going on in there? So we can't control what's happening when we're asleep, just like we have no control over the day or the time that we're born. We just come into a new reality. And when I go to sleep at night, I don't know about you, I have no control about when I wake up. It takes an alarm clock or when my kid's jumping on me or something like that to get me to kind of finally come to life again. Most of us sleep in the dark, and we wake up in the light. And being awake means that our eyes are open, and we're aware of what's going on around us. So I like that. I like the description of being born again as being like waking up to a new reality where we see Jesus and we love Jesus for who he really is. Now, another way I like to describe what is being born again, and it kind of keeps this water theme going, is this. Um, I sometimes tell, talk about the Mississippi River. I grew up in Arkansas. The Mississippi River is a very prominent you know, part of it. borders our entire eastern part of the state. And when you look at the Mississippi River, it flows down. It's muddy waters. It's fresh water. It flows all the way down to the middle part of our country. And as it gets down close to New Orleans, it starts entering into the Gulf of Mexico. And in that transition zone, you can see here the, the sediment plumes and all that. In that transition zone, at some point, it goes from fresh water into this brackish transitional water, eventually emerges into the beautiful blue salt water of the Gulf of Mexico. Now, one of the interesting things is that when this collision happens, there's something called a hypoxic zone there. And in that hypoxic zone, because of the change of the water, there's actually a dead zone. Life doesn't live there. And at some point... We go from being, I just look at it like a freshwater, muddy Mississippi, into a transition zone that only God knows how he does it. Only he knows the pace and, the, and, the, and, and what's going on at the spiritual molecular level. And we emerge from death into a new life zone, into the beautiful, salty waters of the Gulf of Mexico. And like I said, people who are born again, they experience this awakening and some type of transformation process. For some people, it seems to happen quickly. For others, it might take a little time. I do believe that born-again experience happens in a moment where God changes us. But he, he knows that moment. Our experience of it might be more sudden. For some people, experience might be over time and more gradual. The experience may vary, but the results should always be the same. People who are born again become more and more like Christ. They become a new creation. They transition from the waters of the Mississippi, and all of a sudden, at some point, they become the Gulf of Mexico. And while no one should judge another person's conversion experience, because only God truly knows who is and who isn't born again, we can look at signs of spiritual maturity in our lives and in the lives of others to help them figure out if we and if they are truly growing up in God's kingdom. Some signs to look for. People who are born again typically depend more on God. They focus more on others, and they experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit in increasing measure throughout their life. There's a lot of things, but those are just some simple ways of looking at it. And remember, the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians chapter 5 is this. It's love and joy, 
and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And if we see these things increasing in our life, then we can have confidence that we are born again. And if we don't see these things in our life, or people we really trust tell us they don't see these things in our life, then we need to talk to a spiritually mature friend. And we need to see if we can find out what's going on. Another great idea for how to, to just challenge yourself in your growth is this. Come back next week. Uh, we're going to be kicking off a new series. Joel's going to be leading us into a new series called Counterfeit Gospels. It's going to be out of the book of Galatians. And in this new series, um, we're going to be trying to bring clarity to the, to the true gospel of Christ by looking at some false gospels the world around us often tells us. And I love the way Joel, he, he likes to bring clarity to the gospel. Some of our conversations, he says this. He says, the gospel tells us that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus to belong to God's kingdom and be a part of God's work. I'm sorry, that's not in your outline, but it's worth writing down. I'll repeat that. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus to belong to God's kingdom and be a part of God's work. And I think this definition, actually, this, this wording here helps bring clarity to our passage today because I think what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus about being born again is, I think he's saying this. He's saying, Nicodemus, you must be saved by my grace. You need to have faith in me. You need to belong to my kingdom and be a part of my work. If you want to see new life, if you want to see heaven, this is the way you come. And if you can't see this, then you're still not born again. So hopefully this will help us look at ourselves a bit and see how we're doing and if we are born again and encourage people as body, it's the body of Christ and faithful followers. But as I close of today, I want to take a couple minutes and I want to ask us this question. Because I know that a lot of us are asking the question, but what? But Brian, what about those around us who do not seem to be interested in Jesus? Or even those who oppose Jesus and stand against him? What does Jesus say about that? What do we do? Well, the last few verses um, tell us a bit about this. And frankly, they trouble me. They concern me. Because as we see, Jesus picking up in verse 17 says this. He says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. So this is Jesus like, like, like speaking like a judge, a righteous judge. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Here we see John use this imagery of light. He is, Jesus is using it and John's recording it, this image of light representing truth and holiness and darkness is the imagery of separation from God and sin. And Jesus is very plain that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Not this time. Not this time. He came to bring life, but people run from him because his light and his life exposes the darkness and the evil in their hearts and their deeds. They're not praiseworthy. I mean, this is we, we know this from a very early age as kids. When we lie... I don't know about y'all. I did not run to my dad and say, Dad, Dad, guess what? I lied. I punched my sister in the face. I actually didn't do that. She might say it, but I didn't. But, you know, we don't do that. We, we hide away. 
We try to we crawl on the covers. We go outside. We do something to get away from the possible retribution because we don't want our deeds revealed in truth or standard. And according to verse 21, only those people who live in the truth can see this reality. And who are these people who live in the truth? These are people who are born again. Now, this doesn't mean if you're born again that you don't sin. John, 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we're without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So it's not that. But people who are born again, they do understand what's going on here. They can see this reality very clearly. They can accept sin in their life, and they know where to go to Christ for cleansing and confession and atonement. And they also know that there is a spiritual battle going on in the world. This is not a game. This is a real war. Born again people get that. And people who are not born again, they don't get it. They're spiritually dead. They can't see it yet. The Apostle Paul calls this out very clearly in Romans chapter 1. It's worth a read sometimes, so I'm not going to get into the details on this here. Other than to say this, people who are born again see this issue for what it is. And people who are born again long to see the Holy Spirit work in the lives of people who are far from God. Born again people are troubled by this. Born again people are burdened for the lost. It's not cool to see people run from God. It's not cool at all. If we're part of God's church, we need to care deeply about these people. So what do we do if we want to help these folks? How can we do something? We know that this is 100% the work of God. This is not something we can manufacture. I mean, because think about the Nicodemuses in your world. Who's your Nicodemus? Is it a parent? Is it one of your children? Could it be your spouse, co-worker? Maybe it's something you, somebody you see every week in community group even. We all have Nicodemuses in our life, people who don't seem to have any interest in Jesus, no fruit in their life. We should care about that. So remember the Holy Spirit is 100% responsible for being, people being born again. But also remember that God loves to use his people to reach people. So here's a few thoughts for you. Say this to yourself when you think about how you can help people who are far from God. Say this. Say, I can help people who are far from God by praying for them, by loving them, by sharing my life with them, by sharing my story with them. And when appropriate, when God leads, a lot of times it's once you put in the hard work of relationship and credibility in their life, when appropriate, share God's story with them. doesn't mean you can't share it right away, but I think usually it's more effective when you've spent some time with people. And remember, it's not up to you to save anybody. We can't do it, nor should we do it. Only God can bring a person from spiritual death into spiritual life. Only God deserves the glory for such a magnificent gift. What we can do is be grateful for that gift. And when we're born again, we can be humbled by that gift. When we're born again, we should be awakened to the spiritual realities around us. We should be continuously trying to grow more and more into the image of Christ. We should be depending upon on God more. We should be focusing more on others. We should be seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in our life. And we should be like a lighthouse. It just pierces the darkness of this world. By praying for the lost and sharing our lives with the lost, sharing our story with the lost, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ the lost. This is what people who are born again desire to do. 
And this is what people who are born again do. The last thing I want you to write down today is this. If you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, if you're not sure who Jesus is in your life, then I want to talk to you. If you're not sure if you're truly born again, then I want to pray with you. If you're not sure if you're growing more mature in Christ, then I want to help you. If you're not sure that you are seeing in your life a burden for other people who are far from Jesus, then let me encourage you, okay? Because regardless of where you're at now, I've been right where you are. I've been there. Joel's been there. Our elders have been there. So the last blank on your outline says this. It says, if I have any questions, I should email Brian at I should email Brian.com. I'm sorry, at gmail.com. That's my email address. Hopefully you can remember it. It's very simple. I should email Brian at I should email Brian at gmail.com. And I really do want to hear from you. Some churches have altar calls. They call people up. I'm not going to do that to you today. But I'm going to give you some time here in a minute to spend some time with God and think about this and pray for next steps. Because this is important. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Joel, one of our elders. It doesn't matter who, but I do want you to reach out to somebody because we should never come together as a people of Christ and look over his word out of John chapter 3 and not assume that the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention. This is one of those messages I said earlier today. It's one of the messages that should, should trouble, um, trouble the people who are comfortable or afflict the comfortable and um, comfort the afflicted. God wants us all to be born again, to live like we're born again. So as I lead us in some time of prayer, I want you to take some time in the quietness of your heart. Think about where you're at. Relate with God. Listen to his words from this text today. Ask yourself, if you don't know who Jesus is, and you've been thinking, ask yourself, Jesus, help me believe. Help me experience what it means to be born again. Help me trust you. If you've been a believer for a long time, thank him for this gift. But ask him, what's my next step? How would you grow me? How would you challenge me? How can I be part of what you're doing in this world? Okay? Come as you are. No matter what you've done, where you're at, where you've been, you come as you are. Jesus meets us there. Okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we're, we're, we're humbled. We hear your word, and we recognize so clearly that we are, we're like Nicodemus. And if I'm honest, I was not even near what Nicodemus was. He had so much more to offer you. But yet, even in his great accomplishments, in everything he did, Lord, you said, that is not what it's about. That is not enough. I pray, Lord, now at this time that your spirit, that I know is at work, I know it was at work when I had the conversation getting my car worked on. I know it was at work when I was talking to my kids. I know it was at work in my heart as I prepared this message. I know there's a plan and a purpose for what you've done today and why we're here at this moment. Would you meet every single one of us individually and as a church where we're at? Help us come to you. Reveal to us your beauty and your majesty and the depth of your love for us. Help us see what it means to be born again and to live that incredible life in you. 
I'm going to lift this up in your holy name.